On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today we are talking to Tia Williams, best-selling author and editorial director at Tom Ford Beauty. Tia began her career as a beauty editor at YM, L, Lucky, Glamour, and Essence. She is author of The Accidental Diva and a YA series called It Chicks, and she co-wrote Iman's The Beauty of Color. Her latest novel, The Perfect Fine, won an African-American Literary Award for Best Fiction and recently landed at Netflix for its film adaptation produced by and starring Gabrielle Union. Her upcoming novel, Seven Days in June, debuts in June 2021. Tia is a University of Virginia graduate who lives in Brooklyn with her partner and daughter. Yes, all true. So that's her professional bio, but a little unprofessional for me. I've been a fan of Tia's for years. Her sister, Devin, promoted your book on on Instagram. And I was like, oh, that looks good. I'm into that. So I bought it right away. And when I asked Tia to do this, I actually sent her my Amazon receipt. I'm not even talking about the colloquial receipts. I'm like, I sent her my actual receipt. The real receipt. I bought your book in 2016. I'm a real fan here. Please come talk to us. Yes. yes. You were very gracious and kind to join us here. No one's ever done that before. It was pretty amazing. I was like, wow, it was the month the book came out. Yeah. And then I also started following you on Instagram at that time, which was also a bonus treat because I just love your feed. Oh, thank you. Everything is so glamorous. And it's not just like selfies. No, your aesthetic is very glamorous. It's very stuff I don't know about. Like you can tell like these things. I don't. (laughs) Your eyebrows are glorious. I'm They're not fantastic. very glamorous. They really They're are. So I, te- I tell her that all the time. I'm like, don't ever touch those. <laughs> yeah, seriously, nothing. They're not- Ali McGraw, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you. But you're my point was, I don't know anything about beauty, and you're just you're. It's an aspirational Instagram feed to me, and you love prints, of course, a lot. Which, yeah, uh, yeah, deeply. I am purple. Love it. We have a lot to discuss today, but. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about The Perfect Find? Sure. So The Perfect Find is a novel that I wrote and it was published in 2016. And it's about a 40-year-old fallen fashion editor from the magazine world. She was like an it girl for a long time. And she was married to this fancy real estate developer. And they had all this money and this super glamorous life. And then like overnight, she lost it all. She lost the man. She lost her home, she lost her job, and she had a nervous breakdown. So she moves home to Virginia, she recovers for like two years, and then she comes back to New York to sort of reinvent herself and finds that the whole world has changed. (laughs) She's from the print magazine world, everything has gone digital. She goes to work for her 90s frenemy, who is this awful villain, 
the only job she could get working at an online fashion publication. She's totally in over her head. Darcy. (laughs) Everyone is half her age. She is like a dinosaur speaking another language and she has to sort of reinvent herself and learn this whole new life. And she also ends up falling madly in love for a coworker who is half her age with a sort of secret identity that complicates everything. Yes. That's awesome. So we love Jenna and her complexities. As you said, she's sort of clawing her way back to the top at work, even though her boss is her longtime nemesis. She's single again after a rough breakup with her boyfriend since college, but she's got this new steely eyed clarity about relationships, which she uses to help the younger girls at the office. She's got a lot going on. And one of those things she's got going on is Eric. We love the way he describes her in the moment they first meet. She was all want, adult, full-bodied want without a hint of the coyness of girls his age. She played the seductress, but was vulnerable as a virgin. So tell us more about Jenna, how you dreamt her up, why this was for the most part her story. Yes. Well, you know, I didn't have to dream. (laughs) (laughs) Too much dreaming up because she's essentially me. And anyone who I know who reads it is always like, giggling through the book because I just uh, Jenna's the things she says the way she says them is just completely me but I so I wrote this book as sort of Jenna being my alter ego doppelganger who was doing a lot better in life than I was (laughs) because I similarly well I come from the beauty editor world she's fashion editor but same sort of like glittery fashion magazine you know moment and I had it all at a very young age. I had the, you know, the marriage, the Brownstone and Park Slope, the magazine career. I wrote my first novel when I was 25. And then just like her, I sort of lost everything, got divorced, had to sell my apartment because as any Brooklynite knows, you can't afford any sort of real estate on one salary. And I got laid off from my job because I didn't know digital. I remember being in a meeting and someone, it's like 2009, someone brought up SEO, which is obviously (laughs) search engine optimization. And I was like, what is that in a room full of 24 year olds? And it was like, let's lay her off. Like it's just embarrassing at this point. And so, but like me and my entire generation of, of like beauty and fashion editors just suddenly found ourselves rootless. And we all reinvented ourselves in these other adjacent professions. I ended up going to the brand side, you know, first writing copy for Bumble and Bumble, the hair care line, and now heading up copy at Tom Ford Beauty. But for a while there, I was freelancing, like writing beauty slideshows for random websites for like 250 a pop. I'm suddenly a single mother. I am living in honestly what I feel is the worst block in Bed-Stuy. Bed-Stuy is beautiful. My block, you know, there's like a KFC on the corner. Fine. It was just a stark contrast from the life I had and, and, and the life that I thought I wanted. And I just had to rebuild it all. And I also have this massive migraine problem Hmm. migraines every day daily since I was nine. And so I was in the hospital a lot. I'm unemployed. It sucked. And so I invented Jenna as a way to write myself out of the hell that I was in. 
you know, yeah. so I gave her a yeah. lot of the same problems and then I wrote her out of them. And I was hoping that as I wrote her out of her dramas and issues that I would somehow come out of mine. And I actually did. Yeah. Oh, so, that, you know, I was thinking as you were describing the book, I was like, these are my favorite kind of stories. The like everything fell apart, but I know what it was like to have it good. So I'll kind of get there again. But I didn't realize it was so close to your own experiences oh that, that that doesn't feel as good. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But it's really amazing. You know, when people talk, I'm not like woo-woo spiritual person at all. But when people talk about speaking truth to power and manifestation and all of that, like I wrote this book and my life came, yeah. you know, came back. Oh, I so, love that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I am borderline woo-woo spiritual. Like <laughs> yeah. you can write yourself out of something. It yeah. just seems to be a lot of things beyond our control. Right. And there's that, proof everywhere. There yes, is. right? Yeah. It's odd. Yeah. So yeah. that's where Jenna comes from. I love that. So Jenna and Eric have an exchange that I must have read 20 times. I love it so much. It needs to be read in its entirety. Okay. But I'm going to read I'm going to read some bits just so, to get to the point. Because obviously, so our our podcast's tagline is we're complicated and you have a whole thing about this. <laughs> so Jenna is asking Eric, <laughs> they are locked together in a taxi in oh. traffic. So good. <laughs> and she's asking about his ex, Madison. And he says, you know, like he's shrugging. She's sweet and nice. And Jenna comes back with, you could have been describing a Maltipoo. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And Jenna asks, you know, does she feed your soul? Does she motivate you? Does she inspire you? And he says, is a girlfriend required to do that? I motivate myself. Eric paused. Look, I don't get all introspective about my relationships. To me, it's straightforward. Just make each other happy and like, don't not. Complicated situations with complicated women. I'm all the way good on that. <laughs> and she says, well, what do you consider complicated? And he tells a story about his friend Tim and she's a little crazy and he's like I like easygoing girls that aren't always trying to get mouthy uncomplicated girls like Madison now there's a little bit more Ugh, I have to read Jenna's response from the thing because it's so good she says here's a secret though said Jenna Madison is complicated we all are she probably senses that you need her to be simple so that's what she is mind blown Ooh. right there yeah <laughs> oh my god he says you don't know her believe me i do i was a so-called simple girl i was ornamental for 20 years my job was to look pretty smile and shut up those setups are doomed because no woman can bury her needs forever and when she shows herself the men leave but you know what even the men that date feisty spitfires like your friend tim they end up running for the hills too because those relationships aren't real either there's a drama addiction and that fizzles quickly the only ones that make it are equals, like my friends Billy and Jay, who trade power. Sometimes he's the top and sometimes she is, but that's rare. Maybe you should look into why you feel most comfortable with women that let you get to be you in all your multi-layered complexity, while their role is to stay unmouthy. Mm. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. So good. Wow, I was going through something when I wrote that. Ah! <laughs> like Whatever it was, we love it. Okay. Yes. It. It's true though, right? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that isn't that is so much of what we talk about on this podcast. Yeah. And how we are complicated is different for everyone. And so 
I loved that. So obviously you're someone who pays attention to people and the, uh-huh. the way they relate to one another. You're able to play out these scenarios that feel real but have deeper subtext. And so I wanted to ask you about being a writer. Have you always wanted to be a writer? Is that part of it for you? And when did you start writing? Yes, I've always wanted to be a writer. My whole life, it's just been the obvious thing. There's the only thing. For a minute, like Jenna, I was like, I'm going to be a film historian. But that, yeah. what job is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like there's no... Yeah, but lots of people think what job is writer. Yeah, true. But that at least felt more tangible to me. I mean, there's a major in college for it. There's, you know what I mean? Like, yes, yes, yes. yes. I've just been writing my whole life. I wrote my first quote unquote book when I was seven in a steno pad. It's called Peter and the Magic Icicle. And on the back, I I did an about the author with my second grade class picture. And it's like, I'm Dia Williams. I'm only seven. Can you believe I'm a published author? I've just always taken notes and I always have these fictional scenarios running in the back of my head at all times. It's really odd because my daughter is the exact same way. I love that. And I was not a social success as a child. And so (laughs) I would like, (gasps) I would rewrite the day in my favor. Uh, So like if something dumb happened at school or I didn't have a good comeback or, you know, the boy I liked didn't pay attention to me or girls were mean, I would just rewrite it at home. Oh, that's fantastic. Which is basically what I do with my novels as an adult. I mean, that's what I was doing with The Perfect Fine. That's what I did with The Accidental Diva, which is actually the story of Billy and Jay who are in The Perfect Fine. Yeah. I I rewrite the world in a way that, you know, makes sense to me because real life doesn't really make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Were your parents supportive of that or... Absolutely. They were, which is rare. Like, you know, as as an adult, like knowing writers now, like a lot of the, any kind of artists, you know, that I know, especially artists of color, got a lot of blowback from parents because we did not work this hard for you to go struggle somewhere in a random profession that isn't a sure thing because, right. you know, creative pursuits are not sure things, obviously, yeah. which is why, I mean, I, even though I have, I, I'm a creative, I also have this very sort of type A structured thing about me. It's because I'm an oldest, oldest daughter, yeah. old, oldest child. So yeah. I wasn't going to just like move to New York, you know, and like, right. You know, I had, I got plan A, B, and C. Oh, all the plans. So, you know, I was going to come and work in publishing. So, you know, I, I, I had a secure, you know, Condé Nast nine to five and then was writing for myself, you know, on my downtime. But yeah, I always, I always knew. Nice. And so I'm always studying people and the way they talk. And I, I think dialogue is so much fun. Like just like inhabiting, especially Mm. writing the way men talk because they're yeah. so foreign. Like, what is even in your head? <laughs> I was going to say, the way Eric speaks, the dialogue is so good. I love writing men. They're endlessly fascinating to me because I don't understand them. Right. No. I don't have brothers. I don't, you know, I'm not... I have two brothers and I don't understand. Yeah, me too. <laughs> nope. Nope. I have two brothers as well. And it doesn't... Okay. It, it, you're not at a deficit no. in that regard. They're just as mysterious. Yeah, total enigmas. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about some of the other characters because there's so many other complicated and vividly drawn characters 
in this book. One of my favorite descriptions is of Jenna's co-worker, Jinx. You write, her dark, voluptuous beauty was lost on her. She wanted to be a basic white girl. She looked like a mysterious, dark-eyed enchantress, but on the inside, she was Lauren Conrad. (laughs) Uh, And these complicated women are all friends. In fact, these are the relationships Jenna leans on to get through the really rough parts, whether it's with the help and support of her oldest friends, Billy and Elodie, or retail therapy on the cheap with Terry and Jinx from work. So this story is, of course, a lot about career and romantic relationships, but you managed to really highlight female friendship. Uh, Is that important to you? Yes, definitely. Again, like I grew up with sisters, you know, surrounded by aunts and women. I'm very much like the slumber party girl. I'm very girly girl. I was always so jealous of the girls and women who were like guys, girls and knew what to say to boys like could talk about sports or like make fun of them or like just be normal. I don't know how to be normal around men <laughs> at all. Um, it's really dumb. It's like either I'm I'm like a psycho flirt or I just am silent. Like I just don't know what to do. So I love I love girls. I love I have a daughter. Like I I think I don't know that that like estrogen connection is is super powerful. I mean, you know, like sometimes breaking up with a girlfriend is more, a platonic oh girlfriend gosh. is more hurtful and damaging Devastating. than a man. Yeah. Yeah. So I was definitely the, and maybe it's because I have brothers. I don't have a lot of women, uh, girls in my life growing up. So I was definitely one of those girls that just was more at ease with guys. I learned later on the value of female friendship and Absolutely. It keeps me afloat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what I would do without those women in my life. And yeah, and when you're fighting or when something's, I mean, the good thing is they're better communicators generally. Yes. But when you're having a hard time with them, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. The world is ending. Oh. So we often talk on the podcast about things that only a woman could write or actually only write with the deep level of authenticity that we feel when we read it or experience it. I mean, I guess anybody could write anything, but it's not going to be good is the point. Right. So we often cite season two of Fleabag where they talk about the menopause monologue. Yes, right? Yes. I had to do a whole separate podcast on that, even though we had already done season one and season two yeah yeah. we had to have some of the monologues as their own episode the hair one was another (gasps) the haircut oh that was so i watched that season with my jaw on the ground like yes i know know. a revelation yeah another one for us is the i'm not broken scene in dead to me as judy is discussing many of her miscarriages i don't watch that to me but i need to Yeah, That's it's good. an it's another one where you're like, okay, only a woman okay. will know what this feels like, right? So in this book, you gave Eric a short film that was a moment I thought only, as I was reading it, only a black woman could write. But it felt universal and something I could understand, even though I would never use the metaphor for myself. Can you tell us a little about Tyler from Perry Street and why you included that? I'm going to read a little. Okay, okay. Because it's so good. 
It's called Tyler on... Uh, so Eric is describing this film to Jenna. It's called Tyler on Perry Street. It's about this black angel named Tyler who lives in Hollywood heaven. And, on, and the only way he can get his wings is if he liberates black movies from stereotypical characters. <laughs> so he shows up to bartend at a Christmas house party in the West Village on Perry Street. And it's populated by Tyler Perry-esque personalities. The evil, light-skinned, educated woman. The abusive, non-child support-paying man. The God-fearing blue-collar worker, the angry black woman, and he puts a truth serum in their drinks. And well, you find out that they're the most exaggeratingly interesting people who have ever existed. (laughs) I mean, yeah, so that was a little bit of Tyler Perry shade, (laughs) obviously, Tyler on Perry Street, because it's just so frustrating. My whole goal as a black commercial fiction writer is to show how interesting we are. Yeah, And I think that black creators, God, isn't it? I mean, that should be all of our goal. Sure. To show uh, how multifaceted we are, how regular we are, how boring we are, how fascinating we are. We're just, we're everything like everyone else. And what's frustrating to me about Tyler Perry, though, I know, yes, he's given a lot of people jobs and I'm not taking any of his success away from him because being a successful as he is in Hollywood as a black director and producer is unprecedented. It's its own, right. It's its own thing. So give the man his flowers. Sure, sure. But (laughs) his portrayal, his his black characters, uh, to me, are so damaging to the community because they're tropes. They are completely one-dimensional. Reductive. They're reductive. You know, a lot of it is based at best in like, reductive. At best, you know, <laughs> it, a lot of it is based in weird colorism. You know that right. that happens in honestly any community of color. And you know, I have a child. It's not what I want my daughter to watch and to think that that's what that's representative of us and who we are. Yeah. And so that's why in the perfect fine you get all of these characters that are aggressively interesting. You oh, know. Yeah. Elodie, who's Korean and black and raised on a, you know, commune. You get Tim, who has two, you know, Broadway dads and a house full of, you know, adopted siblings. And, you know, it's just because that's what we are. We're we're everything from every walk of life. And we don't see it enough in pop culture. I mean, now, you know, it's funny since I've written this book, like the black voices have become more sought after. You know, sure. like the whole Trump thing and where we are in this country, I think there's been a about face where people are like, oh, let's see actually what they're talking about. Like, yeah. maybe we should be listening. And, you know, you get Atlanta and Insecure and mm-hmm. your white people and, you know, the mm-hmm. get out and us and all these yeah. fabulous. It's like what I've been waiting for forever as right. a black woman. So I think what Eric was trying to get to was was where all of those projects have gotten to. Like, yeah, yes, just brilliant writing about interesting black characters that aren't tropes. Yeah, yeah that that do the community justice. Yeah. So you said it's Tyler Perry shade, but it didn't feel like it to me because you position it in like give him truth serum, and then you find out there's so much more. Right. Because and that was to me the universal versality to it because. I'm especially being a mom at schools like you I feel like each person tries to play their role it's like there's the volunteer one the working mom the messy mom who like always shows up with a bun and sweatpants and 
those are actually the people I try to corner at any, you know, drinks night because I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. What's underneath really? there? Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah, because that's where the good stuff and, and at a bar, that's where it comes out. The dimensions, the complications. Right you know, the layers. And I'm like, there's got to be more. Although if there's not, and sometimes there's not, I walk sometimes away. Sometimes there's not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, if that's all you are, I'm done. Yes, right. exactly. So I thought that was really great. Now, who are the complicated women that inspire you and you can choose from real life or fiction? Carrie Fisher. Oh. I just, she's such a writing icon of mine. Like, she's just a total mess and so witty and just honest about how messy her life is. And just, she's like a, a modern day Dorothy Parker. I love people who are honest about how messy. Yeah, she was just a disaster. And yeah. I just love that. I I really like Diana Ross. That's I don't know, I like this one. big, like, larger than life. Yes. You know. What's wrong with that? Yeah. yeah. I love it. I have to say Hillary. Clinton. Oh. I'm from I'm from Northern Virginia, and when the Clintons were inaugurated, it was in '92, and I went and my family went and watched, and I was just like so transfixed by her, and right. I wore this Wellesley pin, and I was like oh, wow. so moved by her, and just what was it over Christmas when her documentary came out on Netflix? I watched, and I was just yeah. sobbing. She did yeah. too. Like a total yeah. gets in her own way and just like, uh, you know, something about her mess just really appealing to me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a good one. Okay. So from our research, this is where we're going to get a little woo-woo for you. By the way, I say research, which we've yet to be called out for what it actually is, which is Instagram stalking. Sure. <laughs> we understand that you're a Leo. Yes, very, very much so. So I am a fellow Leo and Corinne is a fire sign as well. Oh, and, oh yeah. She's an Aries. And Aries, yeah. it, once I heard you're a Leo, I mean, I just, I, I loved you anyway, but you know how Leos are. We're just oh, now, Aries. now we're, we believe it's the greatest astrological sign. I that there it. is. Yes, it is. And, and it's so Leo to say it. I don't care. And then I meet other Leos and I've just decided we are just fast friends. So do you, you relate so to your are. sign? Yeah, we're here. <laughs> I'm looking at you like you're, no. it's, you're bronzer. Like you yeah. are the sun i'm actually <laughs> someone it. said that to me the other day a male friend of mine who's a leo and he's like you legit are like a physical manifestation like a lion i'm like yeah i know i know yeah, yeah thank you good yeah. yes but anyway do you relate to being a leo it seems like you do but tell I tell do. us more yeah so what i meant when i said i'm the leo it's like i don't i don't even have a rising anything like i'm just oh. pure yeah like <laughs> It's funny, me and my father were born on the same day, yeah. August 15th, 1950, oh. and I'm August 15th, 1975, and we are wow. so alike. You know, it, like chewing the scenery, like one of those actors in a movie that just is like, can you just let someone else perform? You know, like you're just, <laughs> you're, you're doing too much. Like Al Pacino <laughs> must be a Leo. It's just, yeah, I, I definitely relate. I feel like I am confident and take up a, a little bit of space. And it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable about taking up the space. And I have really definitive thoughts. Like I'm, I, I'm not really ambivalent about a lot of things. No, no. You know, it's like I love it or I hate it or I just not, just not on my radar at all. Right. It, it makes dating really tough because it's like, I hate all of you. Like, what am I going to do? 
Like I still, I'm madly in love. Like I just can't take any of them. Like I'm not, I can't be a casual dater because it's just, no, no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is so true. Corinne knows much more about astrology than I do, but she made me do my chart and I was just going by my sun sign. And so then when I did my chart, I realized, yes, that I am a Leo moon. So I'm a double Leo. And I'm like, of course I am. But I am rising Libra, which I guess is how you appear to the external world. And I, I, then I started reading more about Libra and I actually, I'm a lawyer and it's like the scales of justice and a lot, yeah. And a lot of the Libra traits. So all my signs, I am double Leo, but the, even the Libra kind of works for me. That's why I, they fit with me. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yes. I'm on board. Yeah, we're, yes. And we're trying to get more people to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but from the outside, I see this as very Leo, that you're, that you are successful at work, you're in a relationship, you have a daughter, you spend quality time with family and friends, you make them priority, you write books, you have a full-time job, and ambitious is definitely one of the qualities of a Leo. Do you consider yourself ambitious? And do you have feelings about that word? I am ambitious. That's a, it's a very Leo thing. I Mm -hmm. am. I I never, I just always want more and just see if I can do it. Yeah. Like I'm never sort of satisfied to just be like, okay, like we'll just leave it at that. I always feel like there's something else I can do or some other point to be made or some something else I can write mm-hmm. yeah I I am ambitious and it's you know for a long time with women that's supposed to be uh, like a, dir- oh, yeah. a dirty word or like yeah we're not on board with that <laughs> yeah like it's not really feminine or ladylike to go out there and you know claim what's yours or push the boundaries or yeah. not be satisfied with the status quo but it always it was always there for me and that's part of the reason why when I was laid off and everything went wrong you know and I sort of had the rug pulled out from under me I felt so like betrayed by life I was like wait a minute I did all of the things I checked all the boxes this is not in the plan this isn't what's supposed to happen I've worked too hard for this right Mm -hmm. so yeah like when when on Golden Girls one time, like, you know, Blanche, who is the most confident person of all time, like, I think she was sleep deprived and got really depressed and weird. And Rose was like, wow, when the mask falls, it really makes a thud. (laughs) 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 Those three years, like, it it, it was a thud. It was like, oh, really hit rock bottom. But, you know, Leo's always, we, we rise. Yes. You let out a roar and you keep on going. You wrote your way out. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So last week we heard the news that the adaptation of The Perfect Find has landed in Netflix with Gabrielle Union producing and starring as Jenna with Jezebel filmmaker Numa Perrier attached to direct the book was adapted by writer Lee Davenport, whose previous credits include BET's Boomerang. And we've spoken to authors who have had complete involvement in their adaptations, like Rebecca Searle, or others who choose to play more of like a consulting role, like Celeste Ng, and another group that sort of watches the movie alongside the rest of us, like Paula Hawkins. So where are you in the spectrum of authors, and what's it like to have your work get a second life in a new form? So I am Paula Hawkins. Okay. I'm sort of watching from the sidelines. In in total delight, you know, 
Yeah. Well, you're clearly in good hands. I think. I mean, like, what would I, you, what's there to, that's something to sit and watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's kind of a bummer is that, you know, obviously production has been completely installed during this time. It's like, when will it, you know, return? No one knows. But yeah, I have wanted this my whole career. And, you know, I think every novelist hopes for this to happen. And there's always been inter- Hollywood interest in the books that I've written and get you almost get there and then yeah. falls apart for one reason or another. Hollywood is really tricky. Yeah. Oh yeah. The film industry, whoa. Yeah. So Gabrielle reached out a couple of years ago and I just didn't think it would ever really happen. And then, you know, she signed on to be the producer and I could not believe that. And then I was, you know, when they were looking for distributors, I was like, I wonder, I mean, will that happen? Will this be the part where we're all hard and, you know, maybe we just won't get a distributor, you know, and then, you know, the Netflix news happened. So it's like at every stage, it's, I'm just shocked and excited, you know, and, and in utter disbelief because, you know, when you've been down a road a couple of times and you've been burned, it's like, you you can't really you know, put all your eggs in one basket, but this is really happening. And yeah, it's distribution, Netflix. That's, I mean, that's you have all your ducks in a row. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really yeah. exciting. I can't wait to see the characters come to life. And what's really weird, speaking of the spiritual woo-woo thing, yeah. when I was in that horrible place writing the book, and I actually spoke to a life coach, which is so outside of my wheelhouse, but I was like, yeah. I will do anything in this moment yes. because I am. Yes. Yeah, truly falling apart. And the life coach was like, make a vision board, just do it. I know you're so sarcastic. And you're not like you don't, you know, you're not earnest enough to do this. But just like, <laughs> take my word for it and do it. So I was like, Oh, Jesus, all right. And I made this, I, I actually like cut things out and like pasted yeah. it together. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I did a vision board and Gabrielle Union was on it as jenna oh my gosh i swear to you i have it it's in my kitchen stop it yeah oh my god i have to rethink the vision board seriously rethink the vision board because and i I, again don't believe in that stuff but it's it's proof right there oh my gosh so i did do one corinne you know that i did and you laughed at me but it has us on the Today I, Show. I didn't laugh at you. And with our little pictures. So you will be there. Just saying. Get ready because it will happen. Tia says right. so, so. Yes. All right. We just need to give it a little time. Yes. Yeah. Let, the yes. Mag- let the magic work. Yes. Right. Right. That's the important part. Got to surrender. Right. Yes. Have to surrender. Uh, all right. I want to end talking about seven days in June which I'm excited about. And I wanted to also read, you wrote on Instagram on December 3rd, 2019. I thought it was just a great announcement. After writing my face off for three arduous years, all while promoting the perfect find and copywriting and not sleeping and mothering and meltdowning, I somehow finished writing novel number five. I could topple down a flight of stairs from sheer excitement and exhaustion. I've been doing this for a long time and each book feels like a miracle every time. Which I just love. I love that you always have that like fresh eyes every time. You're like, I, this is who knows what it's going to be. But now I did it and I'm so happy about it. So tell us about Seven Days in June and what we can expect from this new book next summer. 
So seven days in June is I've been trying to refine my elevator pitch. Yeah. You know, you have time. (laughs) Yeah, I have time. So it's about a an author, a single mother with a 12 year old daughter who writes vampire erotica series which she's totally embarrassed by but this is what she's been doing for 15 years so this is her job she wants to do something else but she's stuck in it and at a writer panel she runs into her great love who is also an author they've been avoiding each other for the past 15 years for reasons that are revealed Um, and they have been writing about each other you know all those years. Oh my God, I love this already. (laughs) They are reunited and all kinds of, you know, drama and shenanigans ensue, but it takes place over seven days in June. Ah, well, you write relationships just so well. Even the backstory between Jenna and Brian, I loved. I mean, that was so good in The Perfect Find. And then, of course, the Eric stuff. I mean, there's so much chemistry. So I'm excited to to hear about this one. And Kate, you loved like the one who got away kind of. Are you if if it has anything to do with something like that with the one that got away or yeah. something from your past? I'm in. I'm on board. Yeah. I love I that. Love I think there's too. just no. Everyone loves that. A lost <laughs> love, like, and you're always sort of wondering too, like, what if the one that got away like comes back? Like, what would you do? What would you say? Yes. Would you be prepared? What would you be wearing? Like, what, would, right. you, would you be attracted to him? Like. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm so excited for this. So in that same post, you also raved about your unicorn agent, Sharice Fisher, and your dream editor at Grand Central Publishing. So many of the authors we talk to talk about what an isolating experience writing is, but how publishing is a team effort. Sounds like you would agree with that. So what is your working relationship with your agent and editor like? So my agent also happens to be a friend of mine, like pre-working relationship. Oh, nice. So that's really nice. When I first moved to New York, the summer of 97, when I graduated college, my first job for the first six months was I was an editorial assistant at Doubleday Books at at the publishing company. And then I went to work at YM. But while I was there, there was an older girl there who was already an editor. I was an assistant. She was the only other black editor there. And she just sort of took me under her wing and like taught me how to be, you know, a new chick in publishing and, you know, in the literary crowd in in New York. And that was Sharice. And she went on and had this like storied career as an editor in um, the publishing world. And now she's agenting. She switched over. She switched over. And she's just genius. And she understands exactly what I'm trying to say. Like the perfect find didn't have an ending forever. And I was like, Therese, just tell me what to write. And she was like, look, I, no, I can't give it away. I don't want to give yeah, it away. But she yeah, I know. totally yeah. in two seconds gave me that ending. Oh, Wow. And then I wrote it. So she's just great at like tying the bow and just sort of seeing it all come together, seeing how it comes together. Yeah. And she really, really gets it. And then my editor, Seema, is totally fantastic. Her whole goal is to bring diverse voices to Grand Central Publishing. And she came across my book and was like, this is this is it. And she just really, everything I was saying about the tropes and, you know, not having enough, you know, multi-layered, 
portrayals of black characters, that's what she was looking for. And even though I've only known her since December, she really gets it too and gets the story. And oh, I just saw the cover and it is completely (gasps) gorgeous. Yay. Are you doing a cover reveal? Not yet because it's not final, but it's good. Oh, Oh, good. Oh, that's exciting. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Um, and, and I'd love to do it again when when that book comes out. I'd love to to chat some more and see where your next vision board is taking you. Yes, yes. <laughs> thank you. Really, it was it was great to talk with you. It was my yeah. pleasure. You guys are fabulous. Oh, thanks to you. And and I can't. I have to say hi to Devin. I mean, yes. Devin worked with my husband for a long time. Both uh, of our sons are named Luke. And yes, we are just, she and I are on the same wavelength. And the day I had emailed you to tell me that she had just listened to my normal people and a lot of normal people fans hated me on the podcast because (laughs) I was big on the book and I didn't think the show was as good. I've heard that. And she was like, I'm on your side. Yeah, that's what she says. But you came around on the end. I did, of course. Of on course. The I mean, the show was, was good. Like the first Just the book episode. was better. I'm a book yeah. person. You know? I should yes. read the book then. You That's know what Evan said. She told me I needed to read the book. Here's the thing. Yeah, you, I always would say you should, but. I've heard if you don't read the book, then the show is just seared in your mind. Right. And it's it's visual. And the two of them, I mean, I wish I had loved the show a little more because those two actors are oh. just phenomenal. The chemistry. The yes. chemistry is so good, as I say on the podcast. I don't care what they're doing. I just, yeah. I, it was, it made it for me completely. Yeah. There were definitely parts I, I liked better or worse in the book, but I, I would say both. I, I, I Oh, you read the book too. Okay. So it's just me and Devin who. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm the only one. That was another woo-woo moment where I was like, literally, she DM'd me like an hour after I, and I was like, I just emailed your sister. That's crazy. (laughs) Exactly. Especially since I'd love to talk to her more, but we don't talk that often. And for her to just randomly DM me about a show that was on a couple months ago, On the an hour after I email you, see, so crazy. It's like it's you, all... you two are orbiting each other. It's true. It's I true. like it. Well, I'll tell her you said hi. Yes, of course, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a busy woman. I am indeed a busy woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we really, really, especially appreciate it. It's my pleasure. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.